Hey everyone, I'm Asha Lapps. And I'm Kurt Henry. And we are your hosts for Live Harmony. Live Harmony is about stories that inspire. Being, doing, and having more. Impacting our communities. Relationships that transform. Learning, growing, and giving. Live Harmony, living the life we love. And loving the life we live. On today's episode of Limp Harmony, we interview Colleen Montague, co-founder of Moisey Fine Jewelry. Colleen's love for jewelry inspired a search that would meet her own needs. During this search, she came across Moissanite gemstones, which are beautiful, durable, super refractive, and affordable. Surprisingly, Moissanite was not easy to find and often not available at Colleen's local jewelry stores. She also had difficulty finding jewelers that worked with the gemstone, and it was at that time that she realized there was an untapped opportunity. Moissanite gemstones are seeing an upward trend in interest with companies like Moissy Fine Jewelry showcasing their brilliance as a diamond alternative. Moissy Fine Jewelry is the first brick and mortar store of its kind with locations in Canada and the USA. Okay, so today we are joined by Colleen Montague. So we're going to be learning a little bit about her journey and Moissanite today. It'll be myself and my co-host Ashlap conducting this interview. Thank you. Welcome, Colleen. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. We're going to get right into it. Why don't you give us a, an introduction on Moisey Fine Jewelry to start? Moisey Fine Jewelry is it's a new trend-setting type of jewelry store. We specialize in a very special gemstone called Moissanite. Um, Moissanite is a lab-created gemstone. It's very similar to a lab-created diamond, but it definitely has some superior qualities to it. Uh, it's guaranteed to last forever. They actually shine brighter than diamond, and they'll come in at 80% less the cost. So we've had the opportunity to bring this particular product to the cities that we're in, and now we're introducing a new generation of engagement rings. Give us your introduction to Moissanite and kind of how you got into this business? Um, well, I was first introduced to Moissanite a long, long time ago, actually. I was on my own journey looking to um, upgrade my own ring that I had. And, and my husband and I have been talking about, you know, maybe going a little bit bigger than what I had. And when I started the search, you know, that's when I really determined how expensive diamonds were. And it just wasn't, it wasn't in our in our books at the time to kind of invest that kind of financial investment into something like jewelry. So I started looking at what my options were going to be. I was, I was always a lover of jewelry. I wasn't, you know, particular on just diamonds. I loved all types of gemstones. And I actually came across Moissanite online and, you know, went on this journey to try it myself, you know, spoke to my husband about it and said, Hey, I want to try this new gemstone and see if, if we would like it for our engagement ring. And um, I did, I loved it actually. And I wore it for many, many, many years and I got many compliments on it. And I actually ended up upgrading that stone as well. So I had like a really generous sized stone. It was beautiful, it was white, it was shiny. And one day it just kind of hit me like, why is it so hard to find this gemstone anywhere else? I couldn't find it in any local jewelry stores. No jewelers wanted to talk to me about it. And the only way to access it was online. And that's kind of when the light bulb went out and went off. And I thought, 
hey, this might be a good opportunity and a good niche to get into where I can bring this product mainstream and introduce it to people that don't know about it. So moissanite itself, can you tell us a little bit about the stone? You said it's a lab made, diamonds can be lab made as well, but it is a real stone, just like a diamond's a real stone. If you can kind of give us a little bit more about moissanite, what it is and go from there. So moissanite itself is actually a naturally occurring mineral. It's found in the earth's surface, just like your natural diamond is. It's just that moissanite is found in very, very small particles and not big enough to make the jewelry pieces that we make today. So what we do is we actually lab grow that same material, the very same process as lab growing a diamond. So the base material is the same as the natural material found in the earth's core, but we're growing it in the lab. This way we can actually control some elements of the stone itself. We're able to take that whole mining aspect out and make this piece um, you know, environmentally friendly and ethical in that sense. And then we're actually able to create a more perfect stone because it is lab created. We're controlling the quality, we're controlling the color. So, you know, moissanite has been around for many, many years, just not maybe recognized in mainstream, but used for many, many years in the industry. Okay. And do you happen to, you have your own lab for doing this or do you have that outsourced at the moment? How do you kind of think about that? At the moment, we definitely, we have our own manufacturers that we use that produce and cut our stones based on what we like for our customers. There are lots of other manufacturers that, you know, can produce their moissanite a little bit differently, but we've been lucky enough to partner with some really good manufacturers that kind of hone in on what our qualities and what our requirements are for our particular gemstones. And the most common uses, same as diamonds, like are we doing earrings, rings, necklaces? What do you find most common uses for, for moissanite? The most common is definitely going to be engagement rings. That's where you're going to see the most savings. And that's kind of an investment that a lot of us will make at some point in, in our lives. We'll be looking for that engagement ring. That's where you'll see the most savings. And that's where a lot of people uh, put effort into making sure that there's no bloodlines associated to their rings. They want to make sure that it's ethically sourced. So we definitely, there's an uptick when it comes to engagement rings but it's used for everything. It's used for earrings, necklaces, bracelets. You can even ice out a watch with it. The, the engagement ring, I could have saved myself a lot of money. You said 80%, oh man. <laughs> I'm just thinking about that right now. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely a cost savings there and it's, it's worth it. We found just in our experience that a lot of our shoppers, they are looking for experience over material things and that's where they want to invest their money. They, they want to buy homes, they want to start families, and they don't really want to commit to that investment when it comes to a piece of jewelry. Moissanite fills that void between diamond, which is very expensive, and cubic zirconia that doesn't last long and inexpensive. This, this particular gemstone fills that niche where you have something that's affordable, but it's also guaranteed to last forever. So in comparison, if we were comparing a, a diamond and a moissanite, of similar, you know, clarity and color, you may be looking at about $500 a carat for the moissanite, where you might be looking at about $4,500 uh, for a natural diamond. So let's talk a little bit about socializing moissanite. As you mentioned, you came across it when you're looking to upgrade. I missed out on it for my engagement ring. And so There's always time for upgrades. <laughs> Upgrades at 80% discount. We can talk about it now. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if we're going to talk about that before, but we can definitely talk about it now. 
how is Moissanite getting traction? How do you kind of go about socializing people? Who do you find is more open to this type of product? Well, the great thing about Moissanite is that, you know, we are not the only one that is using this gemstone. You'll find that a lot of the more, more well-known jewelry stores are introducing it to their selection as well. So people are getting educated that way. And I find that people are extremely receptive to it. Things have changed, especially, you know, post-pandemic where we're trying to evaluate how we're going to spend our money now. We, we need to make very smart decisions and, and people still want to get married. So that investment or that idea they had a, a maybe a $10,000 budget on an engagement ring has been adjusted because of the pandemic, because of their you know work situation or, or whatnot. So we're getting a lot more people that are researching diamond alternatives. They want to know what their options are outside of a diamond and Moissanite comes up. And Moissanite has gone, gone up 294% on Pinterest when it comes to searches. So we definitely know that consumers are out there. They're looking for something other than diamond. And in terms of the, so there's one thing that came up when I was getting married, there was a common question or theme that came up. And it was this whole thing about three months salary on the ring, which is for some, a lot of money. <laughs> right. For most of us, a lot of money. So it sounds like, are you finding yourself having to break down that stigma as well? Or did we just get a lot more moist tonight with the three month salary? <laughs> so something like that, you know, that myth was, you know, put together by, you know, the great diamond dealer De Beers that kind of programmed people to think that that was the standard three months salary. I think it was six months salary at one point, And then, you know, they reduced it to three months salary. The great thing about millennials now are that they're educating themselves. And they are finding out that they don't need to invest three months salary to have something that's beautiful and sustainable. So that myth is definitely fading away. It's kind of becoming your, your mom and dad's myth. The millennials now are kind of willing to do their own thing, willing to do their own research. And they want to save, they want to save that money. They want to be ethical. They want to be responsible in their purchases. So we're definitely seeing that that three month rule is kind of making its way out the door. I'm going to go to the actual moist night itself and, and how it's kind of evaluated. I'm going back in time, but if we think about diamonds, they talk about, I guess, color, carrot, cut, parity, which kind of gives you the sparkle. Do you look at moist night the same way or how do you measure or know whether you have a quality stone that's been put together for you? You know, the great thing about moist night is that that scale, that really confusing diamond scale that a lot of us you know, we try and, you know, pick a diamond and they're talking about clarity and cut and trying to match all, everything together to get that premium stone. Moissanite is created by the lab. So we have a very standard quality that we can create and it's a good standard. So a good reparable uh, manufacturer is going to give you a Moissanite that's graded colorless and it's going to be VVS clarity. It's going to have no inclusions. So all that extra homework that you have to do to kind of pick out the exact stone that matches your budget and all your other uh, requirements, that kind of take that out of the equation when you're dealing with Moissanite. As long as you're dealing with a reputable company, you're going to get a beautiful gemstone. The fact that it's in a lab, I guess you can make us about any size stone that yeah, you Yeah, it, it's, it's really good. We've developed so much and, and Moissanite has come so far where, you know, when we first started creating Moissanite, it was, it, it did have a little bit of the yellow hue. It had a little bit of warmth to it. 
It's now completely colorless and we make it in absolutely every shape. We can do almost every cut. We can even do the small, tiny melee stones as well. So we're not limited when using the stone. That's a good introduction. Thank you. I did some research myself and I really just, I wish I had known about it sooner. <laughs> I hear a lot of that. I hear a lot of that. So I want to save my, you know, because when I think about it, it's, it's a, it's a quality stone. It's a real stone. It's a quality stone. You get the same shine, the same sparkle. It, it's harder than just about any other stone, except for maybe a diamond. And instead of putting so much money to wear it, you can actually invest in your future with your partner, especially when you're just getting started. It's a huge expense. And you can actually just look at, hey, you know, I can, I can put the, the extra money towards our future and a down payment towards the house or put money towards it, that type of thing. Um, Absolutely. And we see a, we see a lot of couples that kind of have the idea of maybe just starting with a moissanite stone and maybe their future plans are to change her stone out eventually to a natural diamond. But what we found in our experience is that our consumers come back and they actually upgrade their moissanite rings to another moissanite because they're just so pleased with the product. They're, they're so pleased with the gemstone that they can't see the value in investing in, you know, a, a diamond of the same size. This is so fascinating to me. And I love that um, it's kind of like shifting, like shifting a mindset, like yeah. turning a whole mindset over on its head of what we've known for so many years. So we're going to switch gears a bit and talk about the business and how long, first of all, how long have you guys been in business? We've been actually in business for three years. So we went, uh, we went straight into brick and mortar uh, in 2018. We opened our first location, which is our Toronto location. And what has your thought process been around the business model, how you build it, your approach and that sort of thing? You know, it's a, it was the first time this entering this type of business was the first time, you know, journey for us. So it was a lot of learning along the way. But what I know I wanted to produce was something of quality. So we knew that we needed to take our time. Um, we needed to be very intentional about everything we did when we started to plan the business. So that included small things like you know business cards and mm. and decor and and you know location was very important to us we didn't want to just kind of you know get in there and just start running we wanted to be really intentional about what we did so when i when i thought of the model what i know i wanted to do was produce something that showed quality as soon as you walked into the door and um in terms of location so you guys have a brick and mortar location what is your plans uh, in terms of expanding well we knew in person was going to be important because educating people on the product was going to be number one when it came to the business and its success people needed to see the gemstone you can hear about it you can i can tell you about it but they would need to touch and feel. If you can imagine engagement ring shopping is a very personal situation where you want to touch and feel, you want to make sure that you try that ring on and, it, and it's perfect for you. So we knew that we needed a brick and mortar aspect to it. We were blessed to be able to start expanding right away. The success of the Toronto store was, was pretty quick. So we knew that, you know, we had something. We knew that we had customers coming out of the door, coming into the door, and we knew that we could service uh, other customers around the area. So we did open our second location, which was in was which was in Arizona. So out in the US. So we wanted to, you know, put a footprint there. We chose Arizona because Arizona is actually where Moisenite was discovered. So we thought that would be a good place to to put our, our flag, our first flag for our US shop. So we have that shop. 
And then shortly after that, we expanded into Ottawa, where we were able to open that location. Nice. Um, and we were really focused in on the brick and mortar because we wanted the customer to have the in-store experience. The pandemic changed that for us. And, you know, eventually all of our brick and mortar locations were closed and it was pivot time. We hadn't spent a lot of effort on our online presence because we were just so tunnel focused on that brick and mortar. So that forced us to reevaluate how we were looking at online and, and if we were making it a viable option for our customers. And at the time, it wasn't as user friendly as it could be. Uh, the appearance wasn't as great as it could be. So that downtime in our brick and mortar gave us time to revamp our online experience. And it actually changed how we generated sales from our online. Uh, so that was what was able to sustain us while all of our brick and mortars were, were closed. So found out, you know, knowing now it's very important to focus on both, you know, at the same time, not just necessarily one aspect of the business. Curious here is online now, now that you're open back in Arizona and we're about to open here, are you expecting a shift or is it just now two different strategies or how are you using that online channel? Is it going to be more for bringing people into the store once you open up? Or do you see them as two just separate ways of shopping for, for jewelry? I definitely see it as two different ways. The push to online was actually a blessing in disguise. Because like I said, we weren't focused on that. By being able to, to revamp our website, we now can touch clients that otherwise would not have been able to come to our locations, whether our stores were open or not. You know, they're from Edmonton, they're from PEI, they're from New Brunswick. So now we've given them a channel, a way for them to shop as well. We introduced virtual appointments during the pandemic where we would show all of our customers our selections virtually. And we've decided that we're going to keep that as a, an option on our site so that if you aren't able to get to one of our locations conveniently, we're still offering that service virtually. And in terms of uh, your team and building your team, how have you guys gone about finding the right people for your team? How big is your team? Kurt knows my husband very well, and he is my right-hand man. So he has kind of taken on several, several roles. And when you're starting a business, sometimes being naive is good because you don't know exactly what the business is going to entail and how much work it's going to entail. So, you know, I was focused on building out the brick and mortar. You know, Lloyd had to partner with me and become like IT construction manager, billing and accounting. Everything. You know, he had to become like he had to wear 10 hats, you know, to make this work. And we were able to, you know, the two of us really to start building the business. And as time went on, we just we were able to find some really, really good um, employees that are even with us now that started with us in 2018 that are still with us. And the journey continues because we want to expand. And as we ex expand, we're always hiring on, you know, new team members. I just want to expand on that. And I know you mentioned Lloyd, so I'm going to bring it up. You guys have been a team for quite some time. How do you guys find working together? How do you guys become such a good team? And how do you guys keep it always productive, always functional seems to be? Well, since he's not here, I can answer that any way that I want to. <laughs> but, you know, it might sound cliche, but Lloyd is actually my friend. He's actually a, just, he's just my friend. So it makes it easy to work with somebody that you actually like, right? I actually get along with him. So, you know, everybody, you know, from, we started doing real estate 
together. And, you know, from those days, people were like, how do you, you know, work together all the time every day, but we're legitimately friends. So, you know, working together is just uh, icing on the cake, icing on the cake for me. So we really enjoy it and, it and it works for us. Love that, love that. And for yourself, so being a woman, woman in, in this business, I don't know if it's usually a business that a lot of women are in or if it's male dominated, what do you feel you have brought to the business as a female? It's definitely a male dominated industry. The industry definitely doesn't have a lot of people that look like me. Definitely doesn't have a lot of people from our community. So I knew that when taking on, you know, this type of jewelry, that I was not only going to get, you know, pushback from general public that, you know, are sold that a diamond is a diamond, but I was also going to get pushback from my, my fellow colleagues that were in the industry where I'm telling people, you know, this is an option outside of, you know, natural diamond. Mm -hmm. So we did experience some hardships at trade shows where we probably weren't as received as easily as other people, you know, that were there. There was a lot of times that we've attended trade shows and we're, we are the only ones that look like us, you know, at a trade show of more than 10,000 people. Things have just progressed in a, a, a way. And I think if you, if you put your whole heart into something and you work authentically, that the rewards will come. And last year I was able to be on the cover of Canadian Jeweler Magazine, which is our country's biggest jewelry magazine wow. as you know, a game changer in the, in the industry. So that was able to just reaffirm for me that I was on the right path. And even though, you know, I didn't fit the mold of what, you know, a jewelry business owner looks like in Canada, um, I was doing something right. And it was being, it was being recognized. Congratulations. Thank you. So I'm going to touch on something that you just mentioned a little bit, which was the challenges. You talked about the trade shows. What were your biggest barriers, your biggest challenges? Like when you look at, you're getting into something that you mentioned, you didn't know what the, what was all entailed because your first time kind of doing something like this, although you've done business before. Uh, what was it about this that made it really challenging for you either getting up and running or once you got up and running, some of the things that were unexpected? There was a lot of roadblocks from the beginning and it starts as early as financing the business and, you know, walking into the bank and being able to get, you know, a small business loan wasn't easy for us. Even though, you know, Lloyd and I felt like we had uh, a very strong portfolio when we walked into the bank, we were still being denied the opportunity to have a small business loan or, or, you know, work with a small business program through the bank. So that was the first hurdle you know, that we had to get through so we can even, you know, finance the startup. And then, you know, once we're in the door, it's now making connections with trade partners. So, you know, we go to these trade shows and to be transparent, they look past you and they look through you instead of, you know, them, you know, reaching out to you as a potential partner, you're asking them, like, can I see this? Can you show me this? You're asking all the questions. You can feel you can feel the resistance when it comes, you know, answering your questions. And we faced some of those hurdles, but it was just a matter of weeding through those people that were not going to be good partners for us and finding the ones at the trade center that were open to working with us. Nice. And so how did you eventually get the respect of the industry, your peers? Or, or when did you realize that, that the tables were starting to shift and you were starting to get the respect that you deserve? I definitely think that the opportunity to be on the cover of uh, Jewelry, Jewelry Magazine made them, you know, 
focus and look and realize that I am here and I am doing something and I am making a change. So, you know, I think there's still a long, a long way to go to be actually respected or recognized in the industry. It's, it's a very small, even though there's a lot of jewelry stores, it's still a very small knit community and a very tight community and the community looks a certain way. Our end goal is to expand so that we can be more recognized in the industry, but also to show our community that this is another field that we can be involved in. Our community purchases uh, jewelry. This is another avenue. This is another business style of business that we can participate in as well. I know you talked about being on the cover of the magazine. Are there any other wins or highlights or moments that you're really proud of? I mean, every day I'm proud. Every day that I, I wake up and three showrooms open their doors for open hours, I'm proud and I'm happy and I'm, I'm blessed. I've also had the opportunity to be featured in Brides Magazine and lent my expertise there a few times. And they're also a, a huge publication when it comes to the wedding industry. So that was really nice. And they do continue to come back and work with me there. And, you know, we've, we've done some TV appearances with, you know, a your morning TV locally. So all those are really, really big wins for us. But I think as a small business owner, every day that you wake up, especially during the pandemic, post pandemic, and your doors are still open, it's a win. I'm curious. I'm going to go back a little bit. You talked about kind of the transition. You, you thought you had something and you decided to build this. Was the decision that easy to just say, look, I'm going to shift and start this business? I wouldn't say it was simple, but, you know, back to Lloyd again, he's always been super supportive, super supportive of whatever I endeavored to do. And when I didn't know what I wanted to do, I kind of partnered with him and we did real estate together, but I was always within myself looking for that thing that was going to make me happy. I think because he kind of knew my history, he knew that I, I loved this industry. When, when, you know, I approached him with the idea, he thought, you know, that, you know, I had something, you know, worth, you know, thinking about. And he was super supportive. He was like, he was constantly asking me like, okay, where did you get with it? What did you find out? You know, what did you think you would do with it? How do you think you would open it? And that was the drive that I needed to really decide whether or not I wanted to pursue it. I think maybe if it was just me on my own, to be honest, I may have I've decided that it wasn't worth the try, but having that supportive partner behind you, that's always just like, hey, go for it, try it. What's the worst that can happen is how I ended up making that decision to, you know, to go for it. That's awesome. When Lloyd told me about it, I thought this was a perfect fit. When he told me about it, the first thing that came to mind for me was maybe, I don't know, it was a couple months or less than a year after I got married, you guys got me a pair of cufflinks that reminded me of that kind of came across was very similar to the wedding. It was P and Co. And our, our wedding theme was Henry and Co. So when he told me about this, I was like, oh, this seems like right up her alley because she already has that that eye for Julie and fit for people. Yep. And so I thought that was a brilliant step that you guys took and I'm glad you did. The next part I want to just talk about a little bit is the advice, right? So you've been on this journey. You're now an entrepreneur three years into this particular business. What advice would you give to somebody else looking to start out a new business, a new adventure as an entrepreneur? I think the first thing I would say to them is the biggest thing that's holding you back is yourself and it's your own self-doubt. And often we let 
our own self-doubt determine what we do in life, regardless if it's, you know, business or, uh, you know, you're going to apply for a new job or whatever the case may be. We let our own self-doubt slow us down from potentially what we, we could do with our lives. And I think I would tell, you know, any new entrepreneur to get those voices out of your head and go for it and do it and try it. Because at the end of the day, you don't want to live your life with a I should have, could have, would have, you know, mentality. And it's, it's, it's so just so important just not to doubt yourself. You know, you may have, you know, people, you know, outside of your home that doubt you. You might even have people in, inside your home that doubt you, but you cannot doubt you. Love it. And so speaking of doubt, we just went through COVID, which was a lot of uncertainty. How is this process of managing through COVID you have three bricks and mortar locations. How did you kind of go through navigating this whole process and making sure, like you said, if you're a bricks and mortar and you're still open, you must be doing something right at this point. It's, it's we're over a year into it and we're just getting out of it here in, in Canada where you have two locations and then you have Arizona as well. So tell us a little bit about that. We didn't go through the pandemic without strife and we didn't go through the pandemic without tears. It was hard for everybody. And we were just so blessed that we had an option to you know, pivot in some manner and at least get into an online format that was able to sustain us until we could reopen. I'm a firm believer in, in God's favor. And I think that there's God's favor over this particular business. I felt strongly that we would make it through the pandemic. We tunnel vision straight forward, straight, kept our eyes, you know, on the prize and, you know, kind of focused on what we did have. We didn't have brick and mortar open at the time, but we did have online. What, what can we do with this? right now until we can get back into our element. It was tough. Sometimes people see the good part of your business, which is, you know, however you reap your rewards. Maybe you're buying a home or maybe you're on vacation or whatever that case may be, but people don't get to see the sweat and the tears, the real tears that happen, you know, while you're building that business. Okay. And uh, during that time, did you end up getting any support from any of the government programs? Did that apply to you guys? It was able to apply for some of the, like for the older business in Toronto, it was able to apply, you know, for that. But for the Ottawa location, we didn't quite make it in for, you know, qualifying for that. If you can imagine, we thought we were ahead of the pandemic when we decided to open the Ottawa location. Our frame of mind was like, okay, the pandemic is not going to last that long. You know, we're going to, we're going to take advantage of, you know, the better uh, negotiating we can do during the pandemic when everything is closed. And then we're going to build up this great store. And by the time it's open, the pandemic will be, you know, fading away, you know, come to find out that just one month after we opened that store, we were completely shut down. Wow. And then you talked about, so you adjusted the business model, you shifted to online, you have your brick and mortar. Are you back open in Canada? What is what is your next say six months look like right now? How are you looking at your next six months as we open up here in Canada and and you have the store in Arizona as well? We're completely open in Arizona. I've been open here for for a while. Our our downtime in the states wasn't long. We're so 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 happy that we're now reopened in uh, Toronto and Ottawa. We have great clientele. We have great clientele and our clients tell their friends. They tell their family. We are the only store of its kind in Toronto. The great thing is a lot of people were waiting for our reopening. They wanted to come. They follow us on social media. You know, they love our products. They ha already have friends or family that have been clients of ours. The great thing was when we reopened, we could look forward to having a lot of our customers back in the door pretty quickly. 
for the next six months, it's go, go, go. We had plans for ex expansion prior to the pandemic, and we didn't stray away from those plans of expansion during the pandemic. We just, you know, adjusted accordingly. So in the next six months, we're looking to still expand into the U.S. and into Canada. Okay, so finding more locations to open up in. Yes. Okay. Yes. And so what is the, what, what's the end goal? It looks like you're building an empire here. What, what's the, what is the end goal here? The end goal. Um, I don't know if we've set an end goal. I don't know if we set an end goal. We, I, I just, I really want to create something that a really good solid foundation for our, our children. You know, something that one day we hope will support their family. And then this business will support their family. So that's really uh, important to me. I've always envisioned Moisey as a chain as a chain business with many locations. So we're just, we're striving to be able to, A, introduce this product to, you know, everybody in the States, everybody in Canada. And we wanted to make sure that we're accessible to all of our customers. So we know that we need to have a, a presence in all of our provinces. We'd like to, you know, one day be able to cover most of the United States. And a question for you in terms of, of family. So how are you juggling family life and business life? not that well <laughs> probably not that well my kids have had to sacrifice a lot of time you know and I've been I'm away a lot mm -hmm. I'm at work a lot I do my best to bring them along when we opened our Ottawa location I brought all my kids along with me because I wanted them to see the process and I wanted them to be there for that although I'm sacrificing time I'm hoping that by keeping them close to me, they're able to see firsthand what mommy's building, what's daddy doing, like why mm -hmm. aren't they, you know, here, you know, at every basketball game, I want them to be able to see the fruits of our labor. Having enough time for family and enough time for business, right now it's not possible. There's just not enough time in the day, but I believe there's a season for everything. And right now this season may have taken me away from my family a little bit more than I, I want to be, but I firmly believe that, you know, once we have everything kind of in a position where it can start to take care of your, themselves, then I can start to, you know, readjust where my time is. And I, I really think you're teaching them very invaluable lessons that they would not, would not otherwise learn in the classroom. I and hope. then, I and, uh, yeah. And speaking about family, uh, there was a story about your growing up with your dad who was in retail. So how has that experience influenced how you approach business? I think that goes back to what you were saying about like teaching them an invaluable lesson that you don't even know sometimes what you're teaching them. My father was an entrepreneur. His whole entire life came from Jamaica with a skill of doing upholstery. And that's how he supported his family the whole time. He opened a small business himself. He opened a, like a, a bargain store type of business. And, you know, I used to help him run that, that store. Sometimes I'd be behind the counter, you know, barely high enough to you know see over the counter, but Little did I know that that maybe was instilling something in me, you know, as well. And then, you know, fast forward now until in my adulthood, he's also super supportive and he knows what it is to be an entrepreneur. He knows what it is to be, to have to sacrifice time with your family. And, and he's always there to like, kind of help and fill the void because he knows, he knows what it's like. Yeah. And I feel like even as the way you speak about your father, you can you can tell it's close to your heart. And, and I do believe that your kids will feel the same way yeah. about you as well. Absolutely. Nice. Are any of them picking up on this entrepreneurial journey? 
I'm trying to lead by example. And uh, of course, you know, Lloyd, he's been an entrepreneur from probably around 12 or 13 years old when he was mowing you know, lawns for money. We wanna encourage every idea that they have, big or small, and give them an opportunity to try it even if it fails. So, you know, as we speak, um, my, my boys all have small businesses of their own. My um, 16 year old has a sneaker, a custom sneaker company uh, called Monty Customs and he customized his shoes. So we encouraged, he liked that, we encouraged him. We kind of got him started on that journey. Um, my little one that plays basketball, he has his own, his own clothing line called Grind Time. So he makes like sweaters and t-shirts and things like that. So we're just trying to lead by example and to nurture any ideas that they have. Even if in this moment it will fail, I want them to know that whatever opportunity or whatever business that they're looking to do, that we're always there to support them. Before we do our closing questions, quickly, how do they find you, keep in touch with you? How do they get us, you know, where do they find the website, Instagram, however else they can get in touch with you so they can get a closer look at Moise tonight? You know, a lot of people follow our social media, which is Moise Fine Jewelry on Instagram. And there you get a screenshot, a snapshot, sorry, of everything that we do. Everything on that page is represented by us. It's what we've created for our customers or what we carry in store. So they get a, a really good variety of what we can do um, with Moise Night Jewelry. And then we have our website, which is the www.moisefj, like fine jewelry. Dot com and, and they're able to shop online there again you know see our, our whole entire selection there as well okay and our closing question is the same for everybody what is I, wish first... I, I wish i'd known what that was <laughs> <laughs> so i gotta practice it <laughs> oh no it'll be fine this is it's much better when you don't know first words or thoughts when you hear the word harmony first words or thoughts when i hear the word harmony of love and peace. Thank you. So thank you, Colleen, for, for coming out today and teaching us about Moissanite and your business. Really appreciated having you out. Wishing you the best on your journey as an entrepreneur and just looking forward to, I might have to get some jewelry here. Now we can look at some upgrades. So I have some discussions. <laughs> so thank you for, for enlightening us today and educating us. You're most welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much, Colleen. It was thank great to be you. with you today. Thank you for listening. We'd love to hear from you. Check the description to get details on how you can contact us and share your thoughts. Remember to follow this podcast so that you get notified when a new episode is released. Feel free to leave a rating and review as well. Live Harmony is available on all of the major platforms, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Check your preferred podcast platform for availability. You can also follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Live Harmony. You can also email us at info at liveharmony.com. And until next time, continue inspiring each other to live in harmony.